0: Hello out there and welcome to the GameCockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCockScoop.com on Rivals. I am Caleb and I'm joined by Alan today. And it is recruiting season. We are in the midst of uh, quite uh, a fun time for South Carolina fans. So there's already been three recruits over the past week. Um, It is 2.38 p.m. Eastern right now. And I'm not going to give everything away, but I think within an hour and a half or so, you might see another commitment. Um, So, so far we, and they've, they've all been, you know, pretty essential pieces here, right? So, so far you had four star, basically five star uh, Cam Pringle, who's an offensive lineman, in-state offensive lineman, uh, could have gone anywhere in the country, went to South Carolina. And I say basically five star because he's the second highest rated O-lineman in the 2024 class. Um, And if you don't know how rivals rankings work, um, the first rankings, when they first come out, you have like 10 or so five stars, and then that balloons up to like 50 or so by the end of the process. And that's really just to give the rankings folks time to kind of digest camps and digest senior seasons and all that sort of thing before they get their final list together. Um, So it won't surprise me at all. If he ends up with his, fifth star before it's all said and done. Um, let's see. Who else do you had this week? You had 2023 wide receiver Elijah Caldwell. Uh, that was yesterday. That's an in-state guy, Northwestern. He had a really strong uh, senior season. Uh, he originally was committed to West Virginia, but Justin Stepp and Shane Beamer and the entire offensive staff did a really good job of just um, you know making a really strong late push there. Uh, and that paid off yesterday. De- visited his, his school several times over the course of the last several weeks. Um, had him on campus for an official visit. I, I believe it was the same weekend as the junior day last weekend. Um, and yeah, that that late push paid off. And you really had a position of need, right? We uh, we talked about the wide receiver room a good bit last mm-hmm. week when we were talking about the offensive depth chart, which we're going to get to the defensive depth chart for 2023 here later in this episode um but you do look pretty good for this year but you have a lot of guys that are going to move on next year either to the nfl or for graduation and stuff and you got to start rebuilding that room um and yeah caldwell could be uh, a part of that um Who was the other 2024 guy this week? My brain is escaping me. It's been a weird week. Uh, We were supposed to do the podcast yesterday and literally the second we logged on, uh, my power went out for like four hours. So that was- was a little foreboding, I'm not gonna lie. It felt like a bad sign. (laughs) But yeah um yeah so give me two seconds to pull this up but while i'm pulling this up um the other big question recruiting wise that everyone is has on their mind right now is of course what's going to happen with nicholas harbour he is the remaining um five star 2023 pretty much the last 2023 target other than some transfer names that uh are still out there and, and may uh crop up later in the spring um so Some good news and some bad news on the Nicholas Harbor front. Good news is that Shane Beamer got the very last in-home visit with Harbor this past week. Um, He saw pretty much all of his top five schools. So Michigan, Oregon, um, Maryland, Miami, South Carolina all got in-home visits. And the very last one uh, was Shane Beamer on Wednesday night. Bad news is he's uh, that official visit that we've talked about to Oregon that's gotten moved around a couple times scheduling wise. He's on that right now, um, so Oregon will get the last word before he makes his decision on uh, the first, which is was that Wednesday, Tuesday. Wednesday next week. Um, so, and, and we've talked about throughout the process that they have quite a lot to offer. Um, I. I've seen so many people kind of speculate on what could happen here. And the reason that you see so many different takes there uh, is the Harbors there, the family has done a really good job of kind of keeping these things close to the best. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, if anyone says that they know, for sure, where he's going, uh, I think that they're lying. Um, you know, <laughs> that's just me. Um, but I do think that there's still some positive signs for South Carolina at the moment, right? Like you get that last in home visit. Beamer uh, was the first to offer him all the way back when he was at Oklahoma. So it's the longest uh, relationship that he's had. Um, seen some some really good uh, things from the family and from Harbor himself. Anytime South Carolina has come up. But it really just depends on like what is the most important thing to him. Um, I know that he has found Michigan attractive in a lot of ways. I know Maryland's the home state school, and his family would love him to be close by. Uh, it's like 10 minutes away from where he, his, his family lives. Um, and then, of course, Oregon has the whole Nike angle and the track angle and, and all those sorts of things. South Carolina's track program is not too bad. By the way, it's it's one of the top, you know, twenty or so in the country, maybe top fifteen. Um, but Oregon, you know, of course, is on a whole nother another level. It's the birthplace of Nike. <laughs> um so uh it's gonna be really interesting down the stretch. Uh, my future cast right now is still in for South Carolina. If anything changes in the coming days, I will change that and you will. I'll let the insiders forum know on GameCockscoop.com. That's What's your streak at right now? What's your feature cast streak at? Man, it's really good at the moment. Honestly, I've hit I've hit several in a row. Uh, so that would be a little bit of a bummer. I'm actually tied for the top in the rivals network right now with an eighty. Really? Yeah, eighty-eight percent accuracy rate. Um, so yeah, I hit uh, Pringle, I hit Caldwell, I hit Michael Smith. Uh, there's another one that you might see here soon. Um, I hit Elijah Davis. So just thinking about the people that have come. Now, to- are any of the people you're tied with
1: at that 88% covering recruiting at our websites for Michigan, Oregon, Maryland, or Miami? <laughs>
0: uh, no, they're Ooh. not. So most, the, most of the people I'm tied with are national folks. So there you go. We will see. But uh, again, when I put that in was in the summer. And if you had asked me then where he was leaning, that would South Carolina would have been my answer. But I mean, if you're going to get the number one athlete in the class, if you're going to get this like generational type guy, you're going to have to go up against everyone's best punch. Um, And I don't think that there'll be any shame, I guess, if South Carolina loses out like it's, been a really, really good battle, um, especially for Beamers Just here in a second year, um, haven't shown a ton on the field yet. I mean, obviously this year shows some encouraging signs. Um, but yeah, I mean the fact that you're even in it with days left with this guy is definitely encouraging, and we'll see how it plays out over the the coming days. I'm I'm not even sure that that Harbor himself knows what he's doing yet. You know, um, I, I I know that they're gonna. After he gets back from the visit, gonna talk with the family and try to figure all that out. By the way, the one other uh, recruit from this week that I was blanking on a minute ago was four-star tight end Michael Smith. Um, That's another uh, coup, I think, by Beamer and his staff for this class. Um, And that puts South Carolina at number 11 in the early team rankings for rivals. Um, I actually think they'll probably pop up in the top 10 later today. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very strong start to this 2024 class, which is one that, uh, if you've been paying attention on gameclass.com for any length of time, I've been targeting since I took over last year as, you know, maybe the breakthrough class for this set because they've actually had the time to build those relationships over time. And they they've shown a propensity for being really good at, um, evaluating talent when they're young, being one of the first to offer. Building that relationship, and then they blow up. But by the time they blow up, and all these other bigger schools come into offer, South Carolina has already kind of built the inroads there. And we're really see- seeing that with this class, maybe more than uh, even last year. Even though we did see that some last year, so um, very exciting time in recruiting. Uh, check out Gamecockscoop.com for any updates on that. I'll have a weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow, and one of the big things I'm going to focus on. For those of you that maybe have kind of checked out since the end of football season, is who, what the twenty twenty four hot board sort of looks like, um, and what South Carolina's chance, early chances are, with several of those folks. I mean, obviously they're already starting to collect, um, but I'm gonna try to give you like a positional breakdown of the top targets at each position. So that'll be coming tomorrow on GamecockScoop.com. All right, let's talk a little. Football, and then we can talk some basketball and end with a little baseball because you uh, went to the opening, uh, se- like the preseason uh, press Media conference. Day yesterday, that yeah. yeah. Um, so, football wise, last week we talked a lot about the offensive depth chart um, and what we think that's going to look like. Um, you can go back and check that out. Last week's episode, I recommend it. Uh, I thought there was some good discussion about s- some uh, key positions that there's still some some question marks i guess heading into 2023 um i think defensively we probably have even more uncertainty and question marks especially at a couple of key positions um so where do you want to start you want to start d line yeah work from the back kind of the way we did it last week okay um so yeah obviously the biggest question mark i think on the entire team at the moment heading into 2023 is what is going to happen what is going to happen at edge um, so you lose Jordan Birch and Gilbert Edmond in the portal, who were the um, presumed starters. I mean, they were the starters for most of this year. After Jordan Strayan went down, um, we are still waiting to hear about Jordan Strayan's medical uh, request or whatever to turn another year of eligibility waiver. Yeah, for a seventh um, year after Yeah. Everything I've heard is that the South Carolina staff feels pretty good about that but obviously that's kind of up to the NCAA at this point um but let's operate with the assumption that he gets that back um he's probably going to be one of your starters at edge as long as he comes back fully healthy which uh, our, la- our latest update with him was that he kind of is progressing nicely there um what do you think is going to happen beyond that yeah it's
1: I don't want to use the word like scary but I do think this is kind of this is it's also a position where as I think everybody saw last season, this is a position where depth matters a lot and it's where the teams that don't have depth kind of get exposed. Um, you're just looking for jumps kind of from these guys that were from these last two recruiting classes, right? You're looking for a guy like Brian Thomas jr. Who played some snaps in the bowl game. He's going to be playing a lot more. Hey, I got a comment. Thanks. Appreciate that. I didn't catch your name there, but appreciate that anybody's got questions on anything we're talking about here for, feel free to leave a comment. Um, So you're looking at a guy like Brian Thomas Jr. Um, I think Tyree Johnson's a guy who played a lot, not a lot, but more than some of the other underclassmen did last season. You're probably counting on him to take a bigger jump this year. And you're just, we know they've been working the portal. They've been trying to get another defensive end. We know at least one fell through last week. Um, I think the staff understands this is the biggest question. Shane Beamer said point blank. Last week when he spoke at halftime of the men's basketball game, someone asked him about Edge, and he said, yeah, it's a Um, We're not deep enough there right now, or something along those lines. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the things you're watching in the spring. A, those young guys, how they develop, but B, kind of what the plan is there. And I also think it puts a hyper-focus on your interior pressure, too, with now you're down. we we'll to talk about that in a second. But You're down Zach Pickens, and you're going to need something. You're going to need even more up the middle this year with without as much certainty at Edge.
0: Yeah. I talked about the possibility that maybe Tonka Hemingway who played summit edge, uh, in the bowl game and later in the season ends up popping out. You try to develop some of those interior guys, um, which a lot of those interior guys did show, uh, some flashes this year. You're thinking, you know, TJ Sanders and, um, Boogie, uh, Boogie Huntley, uh, MJ Webb. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then, Hemingway himself. i mean the, the question i i almost wonder is like are, do you change your scheme <laughs> because uh right now you're pretty dependent on two strong edges if you go to more of a three five or something I mean Maybe i don't you think can... you're changing your scheme in the off season with well i don't want to say it worked
1: i guess it worked well It depends on your definition of well but definitely didn't fail last year at least like you had some talent on defense you you were able to with the exception of a few games, you're able to stay in games for the most part. Um, I also more wonder about freshmen who might be able to contribute immediately. I know there's a size gap, there's a weight gap, there's a development required, but I don't know, be Nubiazullo, is that a guy who you think could play immediately?
0: Yeah, so I've talked about him a little bit. Um, I think he's probably, of the two, him and Ma- Montague uh probably the more college-ready uh, of the two, although I think both will develop into um, very good edge uh, guys over the course of their career. Um, Umi Ozulu actually just had a 168-person uh, jump in the final Rivals 250, um, and that's a lot to do with the way that he showed out at the Under Armour game, um, both in the practices leading up to it and in the game, game itself. I think he had a forced fumble and a sack in the game. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I do think that he's going to be relied on pretty much immediately and, um, uh, they're going to have to, but I mean, in an ideal scenario, you're not starting him on every round, but just because of size issues that you talked about, like it's going to take a second to get fully up to speed. The other good thing is both umiozulu and Rams, uh, are early enrollees. So they are going to go through the spring, get used to the system, go through, uh, winter workouts, summer workouts, all that sort of thing, and, and have some time to bulk up. But still, I mean, they're 18 years old. It's going to. It's going to be tough. Um, in an ideal scenario in the past, you'd use a guy, use both those guys in like obvious passing down situations, um, use their athleticism, but not necessarily want to force them to hold the edge uh, against the run game. That so, was a big problem last year too, as long as we talk about the edge, center of the edge, especially those outside runs, those quarterback keepers
1: on the zone reads, just things like that were a big issue for this defense.
0: Definitely. So I think you still are going to hope that a uh, name emerges in the portal. Uh, perhaps in the spring. Um, you're going to hope that Terrell Dawkins maybe can stay healthy, which he has not been able to do since his freshman year. He actually had an excellent freshman year. I think he broke the NC State single-season sack record for freshman or something um, his freshman year. But obviously since then, he's been plagued by injuries. He's what you have there. He, yeah. he barely played all last year. Right. So um, that would be helpful. Um, I think you're probably going to have to look at sliding – Tonka out at least for, you know, first and second down uh, to hold that edge. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll keep you updated on on transfer things. Unfortunately, edge is one of the toughest positions to find in the transfer portal. It's like edge and O-line are two of the most uh, difficult positions to find in the portal. You also have to think about like a Jerron Willis uh, who came in as more of an outside linebacker. Um, transfer from Auburn. He was a four-star guy heading into Auburn um, and redshirted this past year. Can he bulk up a little bit and help out at edge, maybe at least uh, in passing downs and, and rushing the quarterback? Maybe. Um, but yeah, it does sound like it's going to be a little bit sketchy and a little bit of a piecemeal approach. Um, what about on the interior? Who do you project as the, the starters there? Uh, I think Boogie
1: and Webb, if tonka's playing on the outside boogie and tonka if um tonka's playing on the inside obviously but i think all three of those guys are going to have to play significant snaps you're soaking up a lot of what you're going to lose with zach pickens there it's an nfl defensive tackle um you don't just replace guys like that so i think that's going to have to be another i don't know committee effort i guess i'll call it with all three of those guys um but if you're technically starting i think probably Uh, Boogie for sure, and then depending on where Tonka plays, he'd be kind of have that inside track.
0: Yeah, I think he'd love to be able to start Tonka there. Just, yeah, you might have to slide him out. Um, And then, of course, you have Xavier McLeod. McLeod uh, coming in um, as a four-star interior guy. But again, it's going to take a minute to uh, beef up enough to deal with SEC offensive lines. Uh, So you might see him a little bit, um, but I would think, yeah, some of those older guys that have been – Uh, in the strength and conditioning program for several years now. TJ Sanders, I think, will definitely play a big role there. Yeah, he was only too deep in the whole game, too. We didn't even mention him, but yeah. All right, let's look at linebackers. So completely flipping that room, Brad Johnson and um, Sherrod Green, who were both sixth year Sherrod Green. 12 years of college football exiting your linebacker room this offseason. Yeah, which um, we talked a little bit throughout the season that maybe they weren't the most – uh, physically gifted. I mean Gerard Green uh, has been was I thought he had a really really great season um, and was a solid contributor for a long time but I think the injuries over the course of his career probably slowed him down a little bit uh, in a way that you know he wouldn't be if he didn't have those injuries. So anyway, I think it's possible you're gonna be more athletic but I don't know that you're gonna have that same leadership quality obviously with 12 years worth of college experience. <laughs> going down um so who do you project uh right now you know very early on in january to start at linebacker
1: am i wrong
0: for thinking the linebacker room is maybe i don't want to say the easiest but simple
1: to piece together here you've, you're playing a four-two-five, so you've got two spots and you've got i think kind of a clear-cut top four i think your two your two are going to be a hopefully healthy Mokaba coming off his acl tear and Debo williams your experience I think those next two, you're going to slide right in. Stone Bland, who played a decent bit last year, and especially late in the season. And from everything we're hearing, Shane Beamer loves him. He's talked about him pretty much since day one. Pup Howard, uh, he seems like one of the guys in this recruiting class and coming that can play immediately. He's early, early enrolled, not just early enrolled for the spring, but was on the bowl practices. He's going to be, what is that, nine months within the program by the time next season rolls around. Um, I think your top four is kind of set there. It's um, just a matter of how much you're rotating Kaba coming off an injury, how much you want Pup to play immediately. Stone Blanton looked a lot better stopping the run than he did in obvious passing downs last year. How does that kind of play into things? Does he take a jump on those passing coverage situations? Um, I think it's more mixing situations, but the bodies are going to stay the same as long as they stay healthy.
0: Totally. And I, I do think Willis will probably factor in there yes. as well. Like I said, he was a blue chip guy out of high school. He just was behind some veteran depth at Auburn. Um, but you know, I, I think Mokaba actually was off to a really good start last season, and I'm excited to see what he can do when he's healthy. Debo Williams, I think, is a great leader, very like tenacious and um, you know, gives his full effort on every play, but he sometimes has like physical. Limitations, so I could see him definitely. He's going to get a ton of snaps there, but I don't know if he'll be like the every down starter or if it's more of a rotation at that spot. Um, But I think if Mokabe is healthy, he's probably an every down starter. Yes, uh, I think he would Um, have been this year if he stayed healthy, right? Um, And then in the DB room, again, a lot of turnover there, right? You have Cam Smith, who's probably going to be a first round draft pick, Um, and then you have. Darius Rush. Darius Rush, uh, who is also going to get drafted. You have the departure of Devani Reed, who you know got a lot of, up, especially early in the season, at safety. Um, so yeah, how are you kind of seeing that DB room shake out? I think
1: you kind of got a preview of it in the bowl game. It's crowded is kind of the way I would I would stack that up. Um, I think you're going to see DQ Smith and Nicky McIntyre at safety. I would kind of put that not locks but those were two 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 freshmen who both played really well last year i kind of pencil those two in at safety obviously marcello styles your number one cornerback left he's really your only experienced cornerback left and then you're those other two spots at corner well corner and nickel i guess you're kind of mixing things a little bit uh we saw keenan nelson jr in the bowl game we saw emory floyd in the bowl game o'donnell the guy who probably played more than either of those two in the regular season and then again in the bowl game some combination of those three um a name I haven't heard a lot of people talking about who got because he got hurt in the middle of last year is David Spaulding. He played some nickel last year. I expect him to be back in the mix as a rotational piece. He wasn't really starting last year at nickel. He had Cam Smith there. But I do think David Spaulding a guy who can help you if he's healthy. And I don't know, Peyton Williams. We saw him come in against Tennessee after Eamon he where he's targeting and played pretty well in basically a crash course. Uh, so th- it's a really deep room the other one of those i kind of use the term puzzle pieces for linebacker there's a lot of bodies there i think the staff likes i don't really know how that's going to shake out just in terms of the snap count distribution but i think smith Eamon worry and dial are going to be on the field almost every snap they're healthy
0: yeah bringing in a class of five dbs that can kind of play corner safety um, most of them are you, you know, could could project either way, depending on, uh, how the the program wants to use them. If I had to guess, you know, in January again, who of those guys are the most likely to contribute early? It'd be probably Jalen Kilgore at number one and Zabari Sandy at number two. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of youth and a lot of talent, uh, in that DB room. I think within like two or three years, you're gonna have a problem like like in the quarterback room that we talked about yeah. last week um, where you have so much talent that could uh, work out. Probably going to see some people transfer out just because it's it's so stacked in there. Um, but yeah, I think it, that's one of the harder ones to project at the moment just because there's so much young talent that needs to kind of play things out on the field. Um, I think your obvious starters are Marcellus Dial, uh, Nick Emmerich, and DQ Smith, like you said. Um, and then what plays out at those other two Um, at the corner and the nickel will be interesting. And you could see DQ Smith play some nickel, which he did so much. He year. did
1: last year. Yeah. And then what does that do for David Spaulding? If you want to kind of throw that there, is he playing corner? Is he kind of moving around? I mean, I think people forget. He played every single snap of that Kentucky game, which the injuries I had because Devani Reed missed that game.
0: Um, Yeah. I, I would say this is the deepest room on the roster, honestly. Yeah, um, They've definitely done a good job of, reloading that room which was uh ironically throughout the muschamp era even though he is a former safety that had developed mm-hmm. a lot of nfl safeties um was one of the weakest rooms throughout that entire era um, and i think they've done a great job of flipping that room and um, i think you're gonna be good there you just might have to go through some growing pains yeah i i don't think you really worry about that
1: just because I think how could you not, of all the assistant coaches and the staff to have faith in, I think you have a lot of faith in Torian Gray right now after what you saw last year after the way those freshmen came. Am- I mean, Nikki Manruri literally drive one of the season as a true freshman came in there and made a big play. That's that's coaching, that's development. That's, like I said, of all the places in this roster where you're sleeping well at night, other than maybe quarterback, obviously, with Rattler back, I think your secondary is probably where you're feeling the best.
0: Yeah, definitely can't uh, disagree with that. Um anything else on this defensive side? Do you want to talk any special teams? Um I I, think... I was thinking I was looking at it before
1: we started, but it's like Kroger's back, Jeter's back. You're going to need a new punt returner with Josh Van gone, but that should be
0: AB uh, I actually think, uh And this is this is something I forgot to mention um but you had one other transfer commit this past week which was the Memphis wide receiver Eddie Lewis. Eddie Lewis. And um he led Memphis receptions this past year, but he also led them in punt return yards. I think he was like all uh, AAC, aAC um returner either first or second team. So I think he kind of projects to take over the Josh van okay. role um both in okay. the wide receiver room and uh in the punt room. but I mean, yeah, we could see a Marion brown and and who knows a kick returner maybe some more Taylor like gets and, back' yeah. no reason to of go away from that i think i think that's he's a pretty good kick returner he took one back last year right definitely so um yeah i think special teams are are pretty well laid out um south Carolina did just pick up a preferred walk on from a kicker kicker, um i can't remember his name right off the top of my head i think that's how you say it yep he's out of hoover alabama um and If you look at the kicking recruiting services, which rivals doesn't really do much with the with the kickers. um, But if you look at the other kicking recruiting services, he's rated pretty highly. Uh, I think like the number seven or eight kicker in in the country in this class. So um, you know, there's your heir apparent, uh, Kai Kroger, Mitch Jeter, or Mitch Jeter. I mean, he's a punter or a kicker. I don't know which which uh, Limbo has planned for him at the moment, but. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good look at the two-deep on both sides of the ball between these two weeks as we stand in January. But then obviously, um, we got some more information coming here in the spring. We got some more transfer portal action going to happen after spring practice, both departures and arrivals, I think. Um, so a, a lot still to shake out. And just a, a general overview for looking at offense and defense. I mean, I think Edge... Like we said is probably the most discouraging or or scary uh at the moment um any other like positions just that you're thinking of off the top of your head that you're like "Mm, i'm kind of worried going i'm questioning the running back situation still just
1: because you're losing you lost lloyd you're losing cbs you lost bell we talked about it all last week you can go back to look at our last episode but you're counting on question marks there right you're talking you're counting on juju mcdowell taking a jump. You're counting on Mario Anderson taking a talent, or not a talent, an opposing talent jump from D2 football to the SEC. Um, I'm not saying it can't work. I'm saying I think that's probably where my question is on offense. And then there's kind of the overabundance of tackles, not enough interior offensive linemen thing we talked about last week and the inevitable game of musical chairs. It's going to have to happen there.
0: Yeah, and I guess one more note on that. I was specul- speculating on center last week, um, I'm hearing more and more positives about Nick Garzullo, and it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if he starts there or, or gets some snaps there, um, depending on how everything shakes out. So that's we. I know we were kind of like debating like five different names last week at center. But yeah, um, so actually an update on that Shane Beamer addressed, which we haven't done since we last recorded when he talked to the, the men's basketball halftime
1: last week, he said that he expects Hank Manos, Wyatt Campbell and Chad Terrell to be moving on. They're not involved in their workouts right now. So that's obviously two offensive linemen and a tight end. Um, Terrell was didn't play last year with his ACL tear. Manos was on the two deep most of the year, but didn't play much other than special teams. And Wyatt Campbell, I think was only a little bit too deep in the bowl game. But if none of those figure back, then, yeah, you're going to need someone who hasn't played center or this level. And it does seem like, you know, Nick Gargiulio is
0: a leader in the clubhouse.
1: You want to call it that at this point yeah. on January 27th?
0: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Yale grad was the captain at Yale. And, and it, I don't know if you guys understand how the Yale captainship works, but you get one per year um, and he was the captain for the whole team. Um, so that's, I mean, you know, leadership standpoint, Mental standpoint, I think he can definitely do it. Uh, we'll just have to see if physically he can stack up to the SEC. Um, all right, let's real quick talk basketball. Uh, it's been kind of an off week for basketball, but uh, you've been busy working on some some fun stuff. And then, of course, we did have a men's game on Wednesday that went like a lot of the men's games. Always, actually, I guess it followed a little bit of a different script, but ended with the same result. Um, so I'll talk about the game real quick, and then I want you to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been working on, uh, behind this with the managers and with Lamont, Lamont Paris and all that sort of stuff. But, um, the game versus Florida, it ended up 81 to 60, but it was a game that South Carolina was really in for the whole first half. Um, there was a moment, uh, right after halftime, Gigi Jackson made a, uh, tough shot, um, to bring it within six. and then the wheels completely fell off uh, right after that. And Florida uh, went on like a 16 to four run. Um, and then ultimately ballooned the lead all the way up to 30 before, you know, garbage time happened and South Carolina's backups, you know kind of closed the gap a little bit um what did you watch some of that game What were some of your I watched takeaways? all of it yeah yeah i was hanging out in the live thread which we do for every men's and women's basketball
1: game on GamecockSoup.com. if you want to hang out you have thoughts uh if you're trying to find a positive i think Gigi jackson stacks another good game on top of his one against auburn that's two in a row where he's played well he's looked confident in his shot um he had a double double in this game along with josh gray who had his first career double double actually Best, um
0: best game of his career for sure yeah. if you're looking for positives
1: yeah he I'm curious if he's going to start tomorrow at Georgia kind of I know Lamont actually addressed that on his Carolina calls last night he talked about Gray a little bit um I think the negative it kind of it kind of goes back to what we talked about after the A&M game which is that or maybe it was the old Miss game this team has three clear-cut scores and any game where any of the three are not firing you're pretty much toast um i don't want to do the hayden brown foul reset again we've done that so many times on here but he fouled out and with 12 minutes to go in the game on one wednesday
0: i'll say was that his earliest foul out of the year so far i think it was it has to i mean he's at 69
1: fouls this year now he's fouled out i think six times it i don't know what else to do with it i don't want to have that conversation again it kind of is what it is at this point but if he's not scoring, you're probably not winning. And it obviously, if he's on the bench, he's not scoring. Yeah. Um, well, him so and Luigi were both off on Wednesday. Yeah, you're going to need a, a better version of both of them. Um, coming into a Bulldog back-to-back here at Georgia on Saturday and then hosting Mississippi State on, I think it's Tuesday. And Mississippi State's 1-6, and 1-7 and in the league right now. So maybe that's a game that will have a chance, at least on paper, back at home.
0: Yeah. And again, I mean, at this point, you're just looking for growth. And I don't know at this, I mean, obviously you, you stole that win in Lexington. Uh, still, I mean, that, I guess that's concluded on Michi just going insane uh, that night, which is going to happen from time to time. Um, but really down the stretch, you're just going to need to see better. Every getting blown out in these games, you can't keep falling behind uh, by 10 and and spiraling and letting letting you get to 30. Um it seems like in a lot of these SEC games, um, once things start to go south, there's no counter punch, um, and I don't know if that's like a mental thing, if that's just like they're getting at, out talented, and those stretches show it stronger than others. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, Gigi Jackson's fun to watch. Uh, definitely keep going out and supporting the team because that's really fun. Um, and also, yeah, remember that Lamont Paris is like completely rebuilding from scratch. There's pretty much no one left. On this team from last year, um, outside of Josh Gray, who, like I said, he he showed some encouraging signs the other night. I thought uh, was a lot more aggressive both offensively and defensively. Um, and he needs to play like I mean, he's a huge guy. He's usually the biggest guy on the it's floor, seven feet tall. Yeah, <laughs> he's usually the biggest guy on the floor. And and the other night, he actually looked like he recognized that and played like that. Um, and if he can keep doing that, that's going to be uh, pretty key going forward. Um, and then yeah Chico Carter jr has developed uh, is another returner that's developed into a very solid role player as a three- point shooter um I, I don't know at one point he was leading the SEC in three point percentage. I don't know if he still is or not um but you got to get more talent in here I mean and it's not gonna turn around to you No, it's
1: happens. my only other note on that um, and it kind of goes to both the things you're saying there is. You saw in that game in the middle of the second half, you saw Zachary Davis get ejected. Um, he swings an elbow. It was stupid. It was on a rebound attempt. It was – I mean, you got to have more body control than that. Uh, but I think the – I'll call it a positive is that you saw the team kind of fall apart after he went out, which means Zachary Davis is playing well. We both kind of liked his game. We've liked his potential. He's flashed flashing things on offense. Um, but the negative of that is, of course, a player gets – I mean, you saw, I think – the stat I saw had was Florida had two offensive rebounds the first 28 minutes of the game. Then they had three and two possessions after Zachary Davis got tossed. Like the heads dropped pretty quickly there. Um, that's a very concerning sign as you're just trying to talk about that effort, you're talking about that compete level. Um, something goes wrong and the heads drop that quickly. That's not
0: a good sign for anybody involved. Yeah, the key to that one, because it was kind of an interesting stat line, I wrote about it um, right after the game if you want to go back and read it, but South Carolina out-rebounded Florida um, and out had more free-throw opportunities than Florida and still lost by 21, which isn't something that you typically see. But a lot of that was due to um, Florida was shooting very efficiently. I think they shot 47-something percent. and um, South I mean, Florida had like 21 more points than nine in the fast break. Because of turnovers, yeah. Um, so South has got to clean up those those turnovers, um, especially on the SEC. Or if you're just not giving you. I mean, you spotted them 21 points basically, and that was the, the 21 point game. Year. Yeah. Um, the women's team uh, kind of took a week off. A uh, week. Yep. Which uh, came at a at a nice time there for them because they have a fun stretch coming up. Uh, they go to Alabama on Sunday, six, sixteen and five. Alabama, I mean, decent, decent sneaky good. Yeah, they're fifth in the SEC now. And then, of course, um, in the coming weeks in February on the fifth, you travel to UConn, which of course is this premier matchup. Um, and then LSU comes to South Carolina. That's The one, oh, the I only two, that. the only two undefeated teams in the country right now: South Carolina and LSU. Um,
1: so it's funny that get matchup's fun. going to be on Super Bowl Sunday. And that does feel like a Super Bowl kind of for the regular season, that South Carolina LSU game. And I'm expecting college game day to be here for that. Um, ESPN announced they're doing two more women's game day in person. And it's already been announced as a sellout three weeks out, or I guess two weeks, two and a half weeks out now. So that's that's the one you're circling, that LSU, not to toss UConn aside. It's a game at Alabama Sunday, whatever. That LSU game on February 12th is what everyone's looking at right now. Um, can't wait and you just kind of you just look into i don't want to throw the u-word out yet with nine games left in the regular season but that's kind of your big hurdle between getting there you know what i mean
0: yeah totally um that's all i really had on on the women right now obviously it's a bye week um the other basketball note i guess or basketball adjacent note uh the colonial the university Colonial life arena thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they released a statement saying uh that some poll, I can't remember who put it out, uh, ranked Colonial Life Arena in the top 100 arenas in the country, in the world. Um, and uh, you know, that's the incredible home environment that they create for the women's basketball games. Um, and also, you know, as a concert venue or or whatever. But that was kind of cool, I thought. Uh if you're a South Carolina fan. All right, tell us a little bit about some of the like uh off-kilter. Uh, articles that you've written for Gamecocks Coop lately, I believe they're both free. Uh, so those of you that you know normally check us out and then uh aren't ready to join premium or what, whatever yet, although you definitely should because there's a lot more, uh, yeah, behind that paywall. Um, but yeah, I think they're both free. Um, one on the managers and one kind of talking uh, to a lot of people from Lamont Paris's past,
1: yeah. So three weeks, ago, like,
0: yeah, three weeks ago now. The night before South Carolina played Tennessee
1: men's basketball, it was at colonial life arena at 9 PM on a Friday with another writer. We were watching manager basketball, which if you don't know what that is, that is the student managers at a lot of college basketball programs. They'll play each other in games. Usually the night before a, the actual teams play us, so like that night. It was South Carolina's managers playing Tennessee's managers. This was not just like messing around, pick up basketball. This was a full court game with a shot clock, 40 minutes in the arena, keeping score. It was really fun to watch. I talked to some of the managers who played and they wrote all about that. Um, there's a whole world to student manager basketball that y'all probably don't know about that. I would encourage you to read.
0: In and then student manager basketball, I think is on a three game three winning, winning streak. Yeah. It started that
1: night because they, they can't get games together every game. You know, some schools don't travel with enough managers. Some of them just don't get back. Like I know they didn't play Auburn's managers, but they did play a ms Tennessee's and Florida's. I don't know if they have a game tonight against Georgia's, and they'll be in Athens tomorrow, um, and then today, it's funny, that next day, Lamont Paris, taught, again, after the Tennessee game, started talking about his past, his football career, he made a comment about how much he loves basketball, how he used to play football, but he still thinks basketball is the best sport, and I was like, all right, I got to know more about this, so I called a bunch of Lamont Paris' high school coaches, people who knew him back then, uh, I talked to him on the phone, I think it was four people I talked to total. I wrote about it. I wrote about Lamont Paris as a high school kid in the 80s in a small town in Ohio. And I would definitely encourage you to go read that um, on the website today. It should still be on the front page.
0: Yeah. So, and then the only other note, and we got to get out of here pretty soon because there's some stuff potentially happening on gameclassgroup.com here in yep. about 40, 40 minutes that I got to get prepared for. Um, so, yeah, maybe go check out GamecockScoop.com at 4 p.m. if you're watching this live. Um, but anyway, um, the uh, the baseball team had a media day uh, for their preseason um, stuff yesterday. What were some of your takeaways there? I know we talked a little bit of baseball last week, and and our main point was that we we expect the pitching as long as it's... Stays healthy, which was something. I mean, they had some really, really bad injury luck in that uh, pitching staff last, last season, but as long as they stay healthy, uh, it should be a, a very solid top tier SEC pitching staff. Yeah, if you are a
1: premium subscriber to Game Pass Coupe, I talked to kind of in gaggle format yesterday Will Sanders, Noah Hall, and Jack Mahoney, who should be your three in the weekend rotation at least to start the year. I wrote about the pitching a little bit. It's on the website now if you are a premium subscriber. And that's kind of the whole thing, right? It's Mark Kingston kind of to the point where he's literally knocking on wood while he's talking about pitchers staying healthy. It was just that kind of year last year. That's what he was doing yesterday. But he mentioned six guys that thinks could be starting pitchers. The three I just mentioned, Matthew Becker, um, Hicks. I'm blanking his first name right now. I feel bad. I think it's James. James yeah. yeah, James Hicks. And then Eli Jerzenbeck, who's his freshman we keep hearing about. We talked about him last week. And – Will Sander, Noah Hall said he's the best freshman pitcher in the country. Will Sander says he's never seen an 18-year-old do the stuff he can do. Um, I'm kind of getting Nicky worry vibes. Remember last August, we were just sitting here over and over hearing every coach talk about this freshman safety. Who none of us had seen play. That's kind of the vibe I get off Jerzenbeck, and I don't know how he's going to fit in that mix. He said he could start games. You said last week you wanted him in the bullpen in that closer role. Um that's kind of probably the thing I'm most excited for this baseball season is to see where this guy we keep. He's almost like a mythical figure at this point, right? He's never pitched in a game, but everyone keeps talking about how great he's going to be. And you're just kind of ready to see him actually on a mound.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're both going to have to keep all those pitchers healthy and you have to improve your batting, which was one of the lowest in the sec last year. You're hoping that bringing in Monty Lee uh, helps with that. Um, did you get a chance to talk with him yesterday, too? or that was Honestly, was not there yesterday. Okay. Uh, we had Braylon
1: Wimmer kind of representing the position player group. That's one of the few
0: coming back this year.
1: But it's that transfer class you're really counting on to fix the offense. You've got uh, Will McGillis coming in from Southern. See if I can do this. Will McGillis, Dylan Brewer from Clemson, Jonathan French from Clemson, Caleb Denny from Oral Roberts, Gavin Cassis from Vanderbilt, Jacob Compton from Memphis. I think there's one
0: more position player I'm blanking on right now. Um, yeah, but the ones that I could think of, but I, I think you're right. There's one that we're not thinking of and seven yeah. position players, yeah. but there it's a loaded. They basically
1: flip the whole position player group, the whole batting group over in the off season, just trying to fix what was really what held this team back last year. And that's more of a, it goes back to that puzzle piece thing. I talked about, right? Like how are these guys going to fit? Who's playing where, you know, you've got four different guys who played catcher in the fall baseball who all could be your opening day catcher. Kingston, I asked him about that yesterday. Um, it's a very wait and see right now for the baseball team, but I do definitely get the sense, like, everyone knows last year can't happen again. I, mean, I think it was Jack Mahoney used the word foreign. He said last year was just foreign for this program. It just doesn't happen here. Um, and he talked about his it. a bit of a sense of everybody knows there's urgency here. It's got to happen this year um i don't know what that means once games start but it's going to be interesting to unfold and i'll be covering it on game scoop
0: yeah and i think i'm one thing i'm also pretty excited about is to see if michael braswell can kind of break through the freshman ceiling that he hit last season because he came out of the gates really strong it was almost like he didn't know he was was supposed to be difficult yeah exactly um and then like a lot of freshmen do that that step up Catch up to him. He struggled a little bit down the stretch, but I I think he's a very talented guy. I think he's a guy that has a shot to play uh, in the major major leagues at some point. Um, and so yeah, I'd like to see him kind of break through that that glass ceiling that that kind of got put on his head a little bit uh, down the stretch and get some of that confidence and swagger back because when he was uh, balling in the first part of the season, it was really fun to watch him as well. So I I think. There, if you're a South Carolina fan, there's some cautious optimism here. That's a very but, good way to put it. I think, but is, yeah, yeah. I also Go think uh, you could see this thing spiral very quickly if things went south because there's already so much. I mean, I mean, Kingston's on the hot seat. Like, let's let's call it like it is. Um, and so, if you were to start out the SEC schedule with a few uh losses you know two or two or three series right out the gate or something then things could could get bad quick too yeah we're gonna probably
1: talk about this at some point closer to when it happens i think it is imperative for this team to get off to a good start um the sec schedule kind of breaks better for you early you've got you know the the Vanderbilt, the lsus the floridas are kind of more april and uh, you get arkansas in may you're not those on paper, highly ranked teams aren't coming at least the first few weekends of SEC play. I think you got to get off to a good start, A, for that reason, and B, for the general vibes of this team, this program, this fan base. Um, you scheduled really soft and non-conference. you got to clean up on those, which that's something Will Sanders actually mentioned yesterday. They weren't good enough on midweeks, which you brought up last week, um, and that was acknowledged yesterday by people there. Uh, not that he's going to be throwing the midweeks, but someone's going to have to, and they're going to have to be better at those. Um I think a good start is very, very important for this team and just a general trajectory of how this could go. Because I agree with you that it could spiral quickly. Yeah.
0: So we'll definitely have some more baseball coverage as we get a little bit closer to the season. Obviously, we, like we said, got some big women's basketball games coming up in the next couple of weeks that we'll have some full preview uh, in game. And post game coverage for I'm going to continue to write about recruiting, we're going to continue to talk off season football stuff as we gear up towards uh, spring practice. And, you know, the the men's team is still like I, I really enjoy watching them every every time because Gigi Jackson's gonna have one or two jaw dropping plays. And um, Michi Johnson, if he gets hot, is like really, really fun to watch. And then yeah, like you said, the the other freshmen kind of seeing how they come along. So um really good time to join GameCockScoop.com as a subscriber. Uh, so definitely go over and check that out. It's only ten dollars a month or a hundred dollars for a year, which is less than ten dollars a month. Um, so Go do that. Get uh, all the premium access to those articles and those tidbits and the Insiders Forum which has gotten a lot more active lately. Um, And yeah, we'll see you on the podcast again next week. Until next time, this has been Kaylin with the GameCockScoop.com podcast.